Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. Welcome back to the Lux Unplugged podcast. This time around, we welcome Investment Funds veteran Denise Voss, chairwoman of the Lux Flag Agency. Why did we invite Denise to the podcast, Adrian? As our listeners know by now, Luxembourg is a global player in the investment fund industry. If you need a refresher, we strongly recommend listening to our episode with Nicola Muckel, CEO of the Luxembourg Finance Agency. Denise has been active in the Luxembourg fund industry for several decades and brought a whole breadth of experience to this conversation. Indeed, Denise used to be the chairman of ALFI, the powerful association representing the Luxembourg fund industry. On this occasion, we asked her to talk about the role of the LuxFlag Agency, which provides labels to ESG-compliant investment funds, a field in which Luxembourg is gaining more and more traction worldwide. ESG, which stands for environmental, social and governance, has become an ever more important topic promoting sustainable investments and finance. Indeed, climate change and social responsibility questions have come to the forefront of investors' concerns, and obviously they now approach it with more scrutiny. But now, without further ado, our conversation with Denise Voss, chairwoman of the Lux Flag Agency. Denise, thank you so much for joining us. For people who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Well, thanks very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So my name is Denise Voss. Um, I'm, uh, I guess I could call myself an American in Luxembourg, but amongst many Americans in Luxembourg. I've been here since 1990, originally here for two years on an exchange but stay forever, so very common as well. Uh, people coming to Luxembourg for the two years and then they find themselves uh, um, becoming local employees, meeting their partners, having children, buying a house and all of that. So I did that. It's been 30 years, but, but for me it's really home, I have to say. Uh, I miss my family in the U.S., but uh, you know, I can visit them. Um, I've been active in the Luxembourg fund industry since really nearly the beginning. Um, I'm also, I've also been... Um, an advocate for Luxembourg and the financial center and the fund center in, in particular, being um, named uh, chairman of ALFI, the Association of the Luxembourg Fund Industry. I finished that mandate up uh, last June, um, but that led me to travel the world, if you will, to talk about uh, Luxembourg and the Luxembourg Fund Center. So that was really exciting and a great way to see the world. Um, and then in June, actually 24 hours after I finished my mandate at ALFI, I became chairwoman of LuxFlag, which is uh, an independent um, agency um, focusing on and promoting the sustainable development. So again, another advocacy role, if you will, um, this time about sustainable finance. And was there a particular reason why you chose this career path? Uh, well, maybe I, if I can step back why I chose Luxembourg. Um, so I, I was an auditor um, working for an auditing firm in Boston um, after university. And in fact, actually in university, my undergraduate studies, I studied psychology. But then I quickly realized that I was not made cut out to be a psychologist and listen to people's problems every day. So I, I took some accountancy courses and got a master's in accountancy and worked for an auditing firm. Um, then I, uh, and I, but I took a lot of French in high school, but uh, generally in the United States, unless you live in a city where Spanish is spoken a lot, you don't learn to speak a language. So I wanted to l l use my French and learn to speak French. 
So I, um, my, my company um, offered a two-year exchange program. Paris was the obvious place, so I visited Paris, but they also mentioned that Luxembourg was looking for somebody because it was the beginning of the USITS, the European Investment Fund Industry, um, regulation, sorry. Um, and so I came to Luxembourg, and I think people at the time thought I was a bit crazy. I picked Luxembourg, but here I am 30 years later. So that's how I came to Luxembourg. I started doing a lot of work in, with Alfie. Um, the access to being a member of a working group was, was quite easy. Much, much easier than it would have been if I was in the U.S. And, um, and yeah, and then I, I continued working with Alfie um, and joined the board in 2007 and then was uh, elected uh, chairman in 2015. You mentioned earlier the, uh, the USITS, so any, any, any regulation that relates to the fund um, administration or just running funds in Europe. So speak, speaking about that, and Luxembourg has always been an early adopter of, of this kind of initiatives when it comes to, to running funds. How would you say that the Luxembourg fund industry has changed since, since essentially you started this career here, here in, in the country? Well, you mentioned uh, the introdu- introduction of USITS, and which was really, uh, as an initiative, when you think about it, was really uh, forward-looking for the European regulators, the policymakers, because it was a, an investment fund for retail investors. So it was super strong investor protection. But what it also was about was, uh, was also about if you set up a fund in one of the European countries, you would have a passport to distribute that fund in the other European countries. So that was sort of the carrot for going through and, and implementing implementing all the regulation. Luxembourg was the first um, EU member state to implement that uh, reg- that directive into local law in 1988. And I think also the fact that, that Luxembourg is, as a small country, it looks across its borders for business. So it was, it had a, a financial center before the introduction of USITS. But the combination of that infrastructure and this forward, outside-looking mentality meant that, and the fact that we had the government support from the very beginning, of course, that meant that um, that was a recipe for success, if you will. And now today we look at the Fund Center, which has 4.8 trillion, so 4,800 billion euro of assets under management in the Fund Center alone. That's obviously been an amazing journey, as you mentioned earlier, and to be part of that and to help build it has been has been amazing. To, to mark, other than the assets under management, the way to mark the success of Luxembourg and how it's changed is across the world, um, the USITS brand is very known. But I would also say the Luxembourg USITS brand is extremely known and actually requested by investors around the world. So that, for me, is a mark of, of how far we've come. Switching back to your role as a chairwoman of the, the Lux Flag Agency. Do you know why I, I chose chairwoman? Because when I was elected chairman of Alfie, in my opening speech, I said to the board, to the assembly at the AGM, I said, so is it chairwoman, chairperson, or chairman? I said, I just choose chairman because I really don't want it to be a question. I just make it easy. Four years later, I was still always being asked, is it, oh, sorry, is it chairwoman or chairman or chairperson? So when I had the Lux Flag uh, um, um, uh, chairmanship um, to, uh, to take on, I said, you know, I'll just call myself chairwoman <laughs> because it's what I am. So as a chairwoman of the Lux Flag Agency, how would you then describe the mission um, well, I mean, LuxFlag, actually, it's very interesting. LuxFlag has been around uh, since 2006 um, as an independent agency um, in Luxembourg. And, and for sustainable finance, while that's not incredibly early, I think in, in terms of an infrastructure, uh, it is quite early, actually. Um, when you speak to many, they're, they're quite surprised that we've been around for so long. And LuxFlag was created um, uh, as an agency 
um, in, in respect of the, um, the movement to focus on microfinance and, and Luxembourg's uh, movement, again, view of, of the importance of microfinance. So, so LuxFlag actually promotes sustainable development. It provides a, or it awards, because you have to earn it, a label to uh, eligible uh, investment vehicles, mainly investment funds at this point, but we're, we're focusing on, on looking at other types of uh, investment vehicles, uh, such as insurance products, uh, because the demand is there. And they're coming to us and asking for a label. And those labels are, um, there are five labels, microfinance, the first, then um, environment, climate, green bonds. And then we have uh, the newest label is an ESG label, so environmental, social, and governance, which focuses more on the integration of ESG into the investment decision-making process. So the other four are more impact thematic labels, and the ESG label is more about the process, integrating ESG again into the investment process. So, so that, I like to say that uh, the LuxFlag label, it provides clarity to investors, and it basically allows investors to say, okay, this fund, it, it does what it says on the tin. Um, we have a second line of business, um, which sort of developed organically, if you will, in, in some respect, our associate members. Because effectively, given LuxFlag was created in 2006, we, uh, uh, so I'd say an early player in the ecosystem of sustainable finance in Luxembourg. And we, we have um, kind of been the de facto hub, if you will, for sustainable finance. Companies gathering together, sharing best practices, networking. Um, one of the challenges around sustainable finance is there are many players in, say, the asset management industry, well-known players who've been around for a while in terms of their entire process is integrated in terms of ESG. Um, and they have products, all of their products are ESG-related products. But then the, the so-called, if you will, mainstream asset managers, um, they are at various stages of the journey to sustainable um, finance or integrating sustainable finance in their investment processes. So there is an absolute need by many, which is why we have 94 associate members, to, um, to share best practices, which is very much a Luxembourg uh, phenomenon, I would say, as well. You know, people compete, but they share best practices. Our very first um, candidate or, or guest that we had on the podcast uh, is called Kim Schumacher, and he, he is, um, he's, a, he's a very wide, widely known for his expertise in sustainable finance. And, and, and back then when we talked to him, that's nearly a year ago now, uh, we understand that um, anything that raises sustainable finance, especially when it comes to implementation, um, it it sounds sounds like it's it's a bit like a moving target at the minute. So it, it's it's some some investment investment funds or asset managers might have a different view than other ones. And you were saying that you know they're they're sharing best practice. Is there like a strong and solid framework that is being carved out to make sure that we have something that is tangible and and asset managers can refer to it to have a truly ESG focused strategy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the challenge a bit is that um, asset managers have investment ma investment processes, decision-making processes with risks, with analysts, with risk um, um, analysts as well, um, providing, and, and they look at data already, they look at financial data. So in many ways, the ESG integration is about integrating non-financial data, so environmental govern governance and social data, uh, criteria and data, um, and, and adding it to the other data, to uh, to come up, coming up with um, 
you know, uh, something that allows an asset manager or portfolio manager to take an investment decision. Yeah, this is a company I want to invest in or this is one I want to divest from. Um, so the, the problem with having one, solu- one solution wouldn't work because every asset manager has its own investment management process. So, um, so that's the process, I guess you could say. Um, data is, and, and you're absolutely right to say that this is all evolving and still evolving. And I think for me, the challenge with sustainable finance and sustainable development period is that we have to do it so quickly if you take, if you consider just the climate related piece of it. Um, and which, you know, if I think of an example might be that um, it took decades for the financial reporting standards to be standardized and for people to agree, you know, IFRS and, and, and the like. But we don't really have decades, but we need those standards. So from an accounting standards point of view, we're working on it. Um, from a data perspective, um, we're working on it. And the challenge around data i.e. the data that the asset managers would use to try to identify companies because they're going transitioning to green or, or the like. The problem with the data is that we need the companies themselves to produce the data. So, um, so these are some of the challenges. And that's why, for instance, uh, you know, I guess stepping back a moment is we have the EU, which has its action plan for sustainable finance. And the, there's, there are, uh, the focus of that action plan is um, on reporting, on transparency, non-financial information. Um, and, and the focus of the, of the EU Commission for the moment in terms of those requirements have been on the asset management companies. They, they are required to report. But actually, it's a little bit, I mean, we need the target companies to report so that the asset managers can actually do the report. And one reason why that makes sense, why that is a, is a challenge as well, is because you need education. You can't sort of overnight, I see that. I've been chairwoman now of LuxFlag since June of last year. I'm still learning a lot. I knew enough, or some, some, I'll say, as LFE chairman, but uh, I, I, I realize I have a lot to learn, which is normal, because sustainable finance actually has been around for a long time. In any case, that educational process is needed in companies the companies, the industrial companies, the target companies, but also in the asset management firms. And you need it from the top. You know, the CEOs need to understand why this is important and to identify, the board needs to understand why it's important to identify the strategy of the company. So standards, I mean, there are standards in terms of climate, you know, green bonds, and and that's probably been the forefront of the standards, even though there are a couple of standards. (laughs) It's not just one. So, um, I have to say, I think we're all kind of muddling along and dealing with it. Um, but, you know, clearly the, the urgency, and obviously it's not just the climate events, it's also the investors that are demanding this. So, and then the regulation that is also pushing us along, especially in Europe. Clearly Europe is a front, uh, a first mover in, in all of this. Uh, you mentioned earlier the LuxFlag uh, label. Um, how do you compare them to other European ESG labels then? Yeah, I mean, there aren't so many uh, in the first instance. Um, I guess uh, I would say, first of all, as I mentioned, LuxFlag has been around since 2006, so it has a bit of a first mover um, status, if you will. Um, the the labels are, are recognized internationally. That's maybe the difference between um, LuxFlag's labels and, and perhaps some of the other labels. Like most things in the financial center, if not all things in the financial center in Luxembourg, 
it's international. So um, we have um, we have investment funds that are, are domiciled, so registered, created in seven different countries that have a, have been awarded a Lux Flag label. Those funds have been, I think, the, the asset managers that manage those funds are 81, and they're from 14 countries. So the typical sort of international uh, flavor of Lux Flag. Um, we have our growth. Um, we have. Um, I think the other the other thing I wanted to mention as well is uh, we're very proud that we we recently received a um, or got through and received a, a certification process um, the, the, that certified our label um, issuance process and and the controls. Do you see a lot of um, other countries adapting the way certain ways are done in, in Luxembourg? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of competition, and, and even you know more and more competition as well. I think in the in the very beginning, I think both Luxembourg and Ireland are small countries. Again, looking across their borders for business, so I think it was much easier for those two countries to understand the model, the USITS model, for instance. And I think the, some of the larger member states, France, Germany, or some larger member states, they they might not have seen at the very beginning, or even after the first decade, that that this was something that was interesting of interest to them because they have big domestic populations. And it's very difficult to have a domestic set of rules of how you do things and to have an international set of rules of how you do things. If they come to Luxembourg, Luxembourg will say, okay, let's just make sure it's in compliance with the rules and regs. But yeah, let's work it out. Let's figure out how that happens. And, and that that's a huge, I'm not sure that's necessarily um, talked about enough, but that is a huge advantage that we have in Luxembourg, that kind of openness to other ways of doing business. Well, we see that a lot in uh, other industries that Luxembourg always has to reinvent itself. And that's probably is a big part why the fund industry has grown so much. Well, I guess the fund industry, the, you know, the adoption of the usage was one of, uh, you know, obviously it was uh, a way to reinvent itself, um, again, on the basis of on the basis of a financial center that did exist at the time um, and, and a, the will of the government to, to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it, again, we have competition and increasing competition. I mentioned earlier, you know, those large countries weren't interested in USITs, but now that they see the success, they definitely say, well, wait, what's so special about Luxembourg? Why can't we do that? And I think I described a few of the reasons why, because it's really challenging to have a, a big domestic market and then also cater to an international market. But um, it, obviously that means, um, you know, Luxembourg has to, and that's definitely when I was ALFI chairman, I would say that, and I know the current ALFI chairperson says it as well, you know, we cannot rest on our laurels. We have to look for, you know, new business, new ways of doing business. Do we have all of the tools in our toolbox, if you will? Uh, so there's a big focus on sustainable finance, right? To, to be the center for sustainable finance. It's not just the government's goal. <laughs> it's our goal too. Um But I would also say uh, fintech, digital technology. How do we use that to make our businesses in the in the financial center more efficient, and and also create new products? You know, using blockchain if possible, dis distributed ledger technology. So I think there's always, you know, I I, I think um, probably an advantage to being a small country is you know you're under pressure at all times, so you need to continue to reinvent yourself, and you can't just sort of sit back and relax. To reinvent yourself, you also need to have a certain level of credibility. And, um, and in, the, in the particular field of sustainable finance or ESG fields, we talk a lot about the risk of ending up in greenwashing. And um, my question to you is, when you give a label to an investment fund, how do you make sure that it doesn't end up doing greenwashing? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, the criteria, the Lexflag criteria are, are you know, we, we actually, for each label, we actually, of course, uh, use international norms, if you will, to, to develop those labels. And, and those labels, uh, the criteria of the labels were developed with the industry and with experts um, at the time. And then we look at them on a regular basis to make sure that they, they make sense. The, the criteria are, it's, we're transparent, they're on the website, so people can look at them, they can critique them, they can, you know, suggest, uh, ask questions, why do we do this, or, or what have you. And we, during the application process, we work closely with the applicants. If they have questions, we ask for more information. Um, and then after the application is um, complete, and in some cases the application may have to be on hold, or we have to say, look, sorry, you're just not going to be able to get the label because you aren't green or you aren't doing what you know the criteria require. Um, hopefully we've had enough you know, a preliminary time and and um, discussions beforehand that we don't have many cases like that. And then, then each label has an eligibility committee of three to five experts, um, engineers or experts in their in their field, if you will. You know, the environment, uh, the climate, uh, what have you, the ESG field. And then they obviously they do their review as well. They ask questions. They ask for more information. And once uh, the applicant passes the eligibility committee, then the eligibility committee would recommend to the board that it approves the, the awarding of a label. As you mentioned, um, our labels are not, unlike some other, other labels, our labels are not forever. It's, there's an annual review of the label. Now, obviously, the, the, the review of the part of the process that relates to, um, sorry, the part of the label criteria that relates to the investment process, that's a bit easier because we seen the entity, but we still check that those processes are still in place. But we, we importantly, we look at the portfolio on an annual basis. So every time we do a renew of a label, we would look at the portfolio to make sure that in the portfolio, there are, you know, those investments comply with the criteria of the label. Um, and you had the, so you had a very successful career as a female leader, but you are still in the, in the minority. What needs to change in the industry to make sure women have equal opportunities? And what advice would you give to, to women entering or in the early stage of their careers in the industry? Um, I think we're, we're, um, we're on a good path, if you will. I mean, certainly since I was, um, I was named uh, chairman of ALFI, there were the chairperson woman of the Insurance Association was a woman. But it, but it can be frustrating at, at times, obviously, that we're not moving faster, for sure. I, I completely get that, and I, I get frustrated, too. Um, I think it's a, a challenge we need to focus on, including at the policymaker level, which, um, which is important. But we also, it, it also needs the active participation of every company, definitely. And, and this is where tone from the top is so important. So, um, you know, in, in terms of bringing, uh, bringing new recruits up the ladder, if you will, both men and women, but, uh, you know, allowing for that equal opportunity within an organization. I mean, that, that's, that's fundamental, again, at the company level. In terms of advice, I guess my general advice is more um, what, I, what I tend to say um, is to women is, um, you know, clearly I would, I would encourage companies to have um, corp- diversity programs, diversity and inclusion programs, and also programs that obviously help women and, again, qualified men rise in their organizations. But to the women themselves, I often say, you know, they need to um, take a chance, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, I think sometimes, uh, you know, raise their hand if there's something that interests them, a project that's of interest to them um, to be involved in. 
And I think, uh, you know, being willing to fail is not necessarily something that all women feel comfortable with, but potentially failing can also mean, you know, that you learn something for the next time. And it's not the end of the world often when you fail, if there's a project or something like that. There's a, I also like to quote, uh, there's a, um, a, a woman, her name is Rejma Saujani, and she's the creator of Girls Who Code in the United States. And she has a very popular uh, TED Talk from a few years ago that I've shown clips of when I was on diversity panels <laughs> in the past. But she, she basically, her premise is that men are raised to be brave and women are raised to be perfect. It's a truism and, um, you know, kind of knowing what you're up against is, is half the battle sometimes in terms of improving. To wrap up this conversation, uh, we always like asking our guests what, is it, what do you like the most about Luxembourg? What's, what's the most exciting things for you that you like doing here? Yeah, I, th I think that um, I think it's the international nature. I think that, you know, even, again, 30 years ago, and obviously Luxembourg's changed a lot, uh, 30 years ago, um, I, I, I would not have been, you know, after my two-year stint, I did not want to leave because I think I was completely enamored of the daily experience of sitting around a table with a Luxembourgish person, a German, a French, an Italian, a Chinese, an American, and all having to kind of play nicely in the sandbox together. <laughs> but no, but having, you know, the access to so many different views and cultures. And, and I think another element that is re why it works as well is that Luxembourg is small. So you do kind of have to in some respects, behave. <laughs> but it brings out the best in people, I think. And then that, that best is, is international in different cultures. That it just makes it so exciting. And I think it's difficult to leave that kind of environment, actually, after having lived it. Even if people told me, because I came from Boston, people said, oh, Boston, it's you know, one of the two cities in the U.S. It's very European. But, and lots of students, obviously, which we missed 30 years ago, but now we have a bit more in Luxembourg with the university. Um, but uh, yeah, no, so it's that international nature that I think is difficult to, uh, to give up. Plus, obviously, center of Europe, so you're close to everything, um, whether it's by driving or train or a plane or whatever. Um, and, then, um, and then also uh, the quality of life element, too. Denise, um, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully we can speak again in a couple of months' time and see all these exciting things with uh, Lux Flag. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time.